Welcome to The Pasty Tapes, a burlesque podcast by Show My More. Thank you for listening to The Pasty Tapes. I am your host, Show My More, the steamiest Asian dumpling, recording live from the floor of my closet in Chicago. Today, my guest is an international burlesque performer. She has won Best Debut and Most Classic at the Burlesque Hall of Fame in 2018. She competed for Queen at the Burlesque Hall of Fame in 2019. She is someone I have fallen totally in love with. I adore her. My guest is Aria Delanoche. I first met Aria this spring when she moved back to Chicago. We went on a wonderful lady date where we had Korean fried chicken, and then we went to see Jeez Louise in the Jeez Louise Variety Hour starring Jeez Louise. The day before recording this episode for the Pasty Tapes, we had another lady date where we caught a show at the Newport Theater, and then we went to Jeez Louise's going away party. So I guess like I have Jeez Louise to thank for this friendship with Aria. Aria is someone who I've gotten to know uh, over the past few months here in Chicago, and I think she is so wise, so insightful. I think she has a lot to say. This episode was hard to edit. I imagine that some of the other bits that didn't make it into this episode will have its own spot in a second episode featuring Aria. Okay, I will say that in certain parts of the conversation, the audio may skip or there's like weird audio glitches that are happening. I don't know how to fix it right now, but it's something I will learn how to do. I apologize in advance, but I think you can still piece together what we're trying to say, even when there's like a little weird like glitch happening. So anyway, here's my conversation with Aria Del Noche. I am so excited to talk to you on the Pasty Tapes. Welcome. Thank you. I'm really happy to be here. Yes. Okay. You are a burlesque superstar. You have one best debut and most classic at the Burlesque Hall of Fame. You competed for Queen this year. You have traveled extensively, international headliner, long ass tours. You know, I think you did like what, like 25 cities in three months or something last year. Like, yes, I did. That's a lot. And I love it. And I'm so glad to be talking to you. And so I met you pretty recently. I think we've been like fast friends and I love it. I'm here for it. You're a wonderful person to spend time with. Um, But I want to know so much about you. So let's like, let's dig in. Um, Tell me about your burlesque origin story. I think like you have just moved to Chicago or moved back to Chicago. And so what I know is that you, the person, Aria, are from Chicago, but Aria, the burlesque persona, the burlesque character, whatever, however you want to phrase it, is from Canada. Can you talk through that? Like, where, where are you from? Where are you burlesque from? What does that look like? Well, you're right. I grew up here in Chicago. Um, and when I was 18, I moved to Canada for college because I couldn't afford to attend any type of American post-secondary education. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I found burlesque and I found my burlesque self in Montreal. Um, I had just moved there with like one friend and one boyfriend and was looking for things to do and like things to get involved in. And I went to a burlesque show at um, Montreal's home of burlesque, The Wiggle Room 
which is a fantastic venue. Like, not all cities have this, um, and they're so lucky to have it. It shows Wednesday through Saturday, like, chock full of amazing performers. It's, like, fully a burlesque bar, so it's got a burlesque vibe. It's, like, set up for us and what we need and what we need to do. Um, So I went to a show there as a guest, and I just instantly, like, fell in love. It was, like, jaw meat floor. Like, I am so impressed by these performers. Um, and I don't even remember who was on stage that night, to be honest. It was just, like, all of it. Like, all of the, like, you know, pussy magic and fun and sparkles and the energy. Um, and <laughs> that night, I, like, got kind of tipsy. I went up to Frenchie Jones, the um, GM, and I said, I'm a burlesque dancer. I just moved here from Chicago, and I want to be on your stage. Whoa, bold. <laughs> totally bold. Um, that was the tequila and also the Aries. And she was like, okay, well, how about like in two Saturdays? And I was like, oh my God, now I have two weeks to become a burlesque dancer. Um, and I did. <laughs> and I won't say it was the best work I ever made, um, but I got on stage and I, you know, I had my little glitter pasties and like sequin bra and um, I did the thing and I just never looked back. Like, Honestly, since then, I have prioritized it so much in my life. It has become so much of who I am, how I spend my time, and how I relate to people. So you just, like, got up and did the thing. Like, what were those two weeks like? Like, how did you – where did you draw your inspiration from? Like, how did you know what to do? Like, are do you have a dance theater kind of background? Like, Oh, God, no. Absolutely not. Um, my background is, like, informally in fashion. So before I – found burlesque I was doing um fashion styling and photography and a large part of that was like making whimsical garments and headpieces and other fun stuff and uh, another part of that was like doing these sexy like semi-nude slash like super body positive photographs um and photo shoots with my friends so I was really accustomed to like creating a look and a story like aesthetically and through clothing um and I was also like already on board with sequins and rhinestones <laughs> so uh yeah, I just had to kind of choreograph something. And it was like a three minute act. Um, It was on whatever Lola wants. Classic. Mm -hmm. Right. (laughs) Standard. And I, yeah, a standard for sure. And I had this, you know, huge plan and I executed it to the best of my ability. And to be honest, I blacked out, like, I don't remember it. Um, But I still have the video and it's something that nobody's ever going to see except maybe like, my kids, <laughs> when I'm on my deathbed, I'll be like, and here's my final secret. <laughs> this is how I started. Right. Like my most embarrassing moment. <laughs> in falling in love so hard and fast with burlesque, like, did you find yourself after that debut, like just consuming as much burlesque as you possibly could? Oh, yes. I, uh, I instantly got a job at the Wiggle Room as a server so that I could watch um, the Wednesday through Saturday burlesque shows, you know, like eight acts um, on Fridays and Saturdays, and then like, you know, sparsely on the Wednesdays and Thursdays. So I was seeing, you know, 20 to 30 burlesque acts a week um, from my community, just, and also like making money, like (laughs) scraping by my living, slinging cocktails. Um, And that was amazing, like the best education I could have had. And uh, we have a school in Montreal, uh, the Arabesque Burlesque Academy, by the lady Josephine. And I couldn't afford her classes, but um, the owner of the burlesque bar saw me and saw my 
my drive and my passion and my ambition. And he <laughs> gave me a side job cleaning the bar on um, Wednesday and Tuesday nights, which was it happened to be the time that Josephine was holding her classes. So I was in the corner, like scrubbing bottles down and like um, while she was giving her classes and like soaking in the information um, because I couldn't afford to attend the classes. I know now that the Lady Josephine is a big mentor of yours, big like inspiration. And I know that you're a major believer in mentorship. Can you talk about your mentors? Like, how did you end up forming that relationship with the Lady Josephine? And what have you gotten out of these relationships? Like, how have you grown from, you know, this bar made cleaning Cinderella lady to this star that you are? I have Josephine thanks for a lot of that. Um, she was, she's always looking for ways to like push herself and create bigger and better things. And that includes in her teaching. And she noticed me, you know, she saw me clean those glasses and soaking it up. And she started booking me at Le Quatrième, which is one of her regular shows in Montreal. And, um, you know, one day she just pulled me aside over a cocktail and she was like, what do you see for yourself in burlesque? Like, what are your goals? And I was like, I want it all. I want everything. And she was like, you know, what are you prepared to do? And I was like, any and everything. And she said, okay, I want you under my wing. I want to see where we can go with that energy because I believe you can do it. She took me under her wing at the same time as she started mentoring Sugar Vixen. And the three of us met every week for a couple of hours in my loft in Montreal. And every week we just talked about something different, you know, whether it was like laying down and assessing our goals on a three-month, six-month, and 12-month scale, or whether it was doing like a hair and makeup coaching, or whether it was act workshopping. And um, the coolest part about that for me was I began to become Josephine's peer in the sense that she was learning alongside us, right? Like we would all workshop our hair and makeup, and we'd say to Josephine, you know, oh, maybe it'd be better if you did this, in the same way that she would be giving us advice. And we all grew together. And I believe that was a transformational period for her as well. You know, she was already like at this incredible level of performing and teaching. And that was just this really special time of growth for all of us. What a great person to learn from. And this year you competed for Ehoff and the Lady Josephine performed on Thursday night. Did that feel like a full circle kind of thing? Yeah, it did. We were rooming together, um, and I was so happy about that. Having her there made my weekend just infinitely better, more level-headed, more grounded, more calming. Um, and that was also, you know, her third, I think, time performing at Behoff. She had competed for debut and queen in the past. And we spent so much great time together, and she was so there for me, willing to talk to me about everything, but not willing to indulge in any of my, you know, overdramatic or like too nervous ways of thinking. She was really just like holding it down for me in, in the way that only a friend and mentor like she could. Um, and just before I went backstage, you know, she grabbed my hands and we met eyes and it's just like everything that we had been through together, you know, personally and professionally, really, I felt it all. And she wished me luck in the sweetest way. She said, um, that stage is yours. And it was really special. I'm so grateful that she was there with me. I have the chills. Ooh, <laughs> oh, What a special, like, beautiful relationship that you have. 
before I like dig into more about your costuming work and your Beehoff experience and competition and all of that, let's like step back a little bit. You're now like living and working as an artist. Like, did you grow up wanting to be an artist? Like, tell me about like young Aria. Yeah, that's a great question. It's really funny. My whole family is artists and always has been. Um, my dad's a professor of performance art at the Art Institute of Chicago, or he was, he just retired. Um, and my mom is a stylist and she did fashion design as well and painting. So I am totally a product of <laughs> my parents and of the environment they created, just full to the brim with like beautiful, interesting stuff. Um, but when I was a kid, I didn't really like it, you know, the same way like when you're a kid, anything that makes you different or weird is like the worst thing ever to happen to you. And you wish your parents had never, you know, I just wanted to have carpet in my home. and I wanted them to be doctors and lawyers. And I didn't want to do go to the weird plays on the weekend. You know, I wanted to watch movies. Um, just, you know, because I was predicting everything that made me special um, out of insecurity. So <laughs> my mom will never let me forget this, but one day I was feeling really frustrated. I'd had a bad day at school or I was feeling like especially outcasted for whatever reason. I came home and I said, mom, I hate art. And like the look on her and my dad's face, it was like, <gasps> you know, it was as if in any like straight edge family, someone had come home and been like, I'm running away to join the circus. Like if I'd said that, they would have been like, let's go. We're all coming. <laughs> like... <laughs> Right, your bag's been packed, but we've been waiting for this <laughs> exactly, moment. Exactly, and I went through this phase of being like, I'm going to be a lawyer, and I'm going to own the state of California. I was like seven, <laughs> um, <laughs> and yeah, I I really didn't want to embrace it. My sister, also my older sister, um, is an incredible artist, and she was from a very young age. Um, and you know, I just felt like I had to be different. I had to get out of the world somehow. So I did my best, but um, <laughs> starting with photography and then with fashion, um, I just couldn't stay away. I realized that was like the best outlet for my energy um, and something that made me really happy and where I found my peace. And it's just, I think that like all artists know, like you just can't not, like you wouldn't be able to stop or prevent yourself from making if you're a maker at heart. When did you start to discover that you were a maker of heart, right? Like you started doing photography and fashion and all of that. Like what was, what happened? Like what was the switch that flipped? Um, I think the switch that flipped was actually just like acknowledging and recognizing that I was making art as opposed to having like crafty hobbies, right? So like when I was a kid, like when my mom was sewing and making garments, um, the scraps that would fall on the floor, you know, I'd be playing at her feet and I would make dresses for my Barbies out of those scraps. Like I was always making. I became obsessed with making um, like really intricate beaded jewelry uh, at a really young age. And I would spend hours in my room crafting these pieces. But um, I think just based on a couple things, I mean, knowing that I couldn't really monetize those things made it feel more like a craft hobby situation and not like a passion, career, lifestyle. Um, and also those things being like traditionally relegated to more of like a craft experience than like recognized as art objects um, made me not recognize what I was doing as art making. And it wasn't until 
I started to take that more seriously. Like I started to see other people making similar objects and those things being recognized and myself responding to them as art, then being displayed as art in galleries, just being celebrated, you know, that made me realize that I was an artist. Okay, I am jumping in with a quick edit here. Aria and I spend some time talking about her artistic process. We talk about editing and journaling. And then we also kind of meandered to talking about peopling. I think that all of that is really interesting and maybe its own episode in the future. So stay tuned. We're going to come back into this episode, into this conversation, where we are talking about success in burlesque. It's my perception of you, and please tell me if this is wrong, but someone who's driven by success and, you know, someone who, like, works really, really hard and is incredibly dedicated, um, how do you define success as a burlesque performer? That's a really good question. It's funny because, uh, as I said, I write everything down, and that includes my three- and six-month goals and my year-long and two-year goals, and so... When I look back at my old journals, which I did recently because I was moving and it was like anything to avoid packing, like crack open this three-year-old journal. Of course, Um, right. (laughs) My goals and my ideas of success were really related to like being seen on certain stages that I thought were the be-all end-all that I held to a really high regard, like Behoff and like New Orleans, which uh, things have changed there. But um, those were my goals and that was how I was thinking about success. And now maybe because I've been on those stages, but also maybe because um, I'm a little older and I have a different relationship with my practice since I've been doing it for five years, since it's become my whole life. Um, My definition of success is making work that excites me and excites my peers and connects me to people. Um, And what that work looks like, you know, it might be glamorous and it might be shiny and it might be on those big stages Um, And it might also just be like grimy one-offs that I do in a dive bar where I like totally let loose and the energy in the room is electric and people are like, what the fuck is she doing? I'm kind of scared. (laughs) Um, Both of those types of work um, in my practice and and both of those feelings are really important to me. I think that like as an artist, um, if we're talking about sustainability, you have to be catering to yourself, to the things that make you genuinely happy um and that's not trophies and crowns trophies and crowns are great i want them i give them all to me (laughs) but um what i want more is to be really inspired by my own work and to feeling this energy of uh catharsis and exhilaration and ecstasy i really want to ask you about competition like as an aries right like we are Definitely number one, need to win all the time, right? There's that element. Um, What is that like in the burlesque world? Like you've done burlesque competitions. You did, um, you've done Behoff twice. You won Best Debut and Most Classic in 2018. And then a year later, you're up there for Queen in that competition. Are you a really competitive person? And how competition in, I guess, the context of art I have a lot of feelings about this. It's definitely something that I've learned about myself through burlesque, which is great. Just another thing to think burlesque for. I think I wasn't competitive. And it took one of my friends, um, the incredible Laura Kelly, who made the majority of my peacocky costume, um, 
it took her being like, girl, are you kidding me? You're one of the most competitive people I know. It was like a slap to the face. It was like a bucket of water on my head. I was like, wait, what? And then I started, you know, like examining the way that I interacted um, in my head with my peers. And she's right. Like, this is going to sound some type of way maybe, but like, I want to be the best act in show. And that doesn't mean I want my peers to fall or fail. I want them to be incredible. I just want to be great. Like, I just want people to remember me, you know? <laughs> um, I think that is part of uh, what I was talking about earlier, you know, like like being so in love with yourself to convince the audience to be in love with you. Um, I think that's kind of part of the nature of what we do is like wanting to be the biggest and the best. Um, but I never want to let that enter like my interpersonal relationships and how I relate to my peers backstage. I want everyone to be feeling good and happy about each other. I want to like cheer each other on. I just want to be like the best that I can possibly be. And I think that happens pretty good. I agree. Yeah, it is. It is. It's more than just pretty good. But yes, I totally relate to this. Like, I know that I'm a competitive person. Like I've said that on the Pacey before, I will say it to your face. Like, I'm really competitive, but I'm really competitive with myself. Like, I don't care. You know, I like like you said, right? Like, I don't want my fellow performers to like slip and fall or whatever. But like, I think that competitive drive like manifests itself in like always pushing, you know, myself to be better, like spending that extra hour in the studio or like refining where these rhinestones were placed, like all of this stuff like feeds into that. And then I also think for me, like it makes me want the rest of the scene to like level up with me. Okay, well, this is what I'm doing. And I'm doing it because like, I need to be better. But like, come on this journey with me, like, let's both dominate. Mm -hmm. And when I someone doing amazing and like, being better than me, it's, it's hard, like, we can't really compare what we do. But I mean, sometimes we can like, you know, you can feel the energy in a room at a show, like you can be like, you know, it's obviously subjective, but you can say, oh, like, this person, like, killed it the most tonight. When I see that, I get fucking excited. I'm excited for them. I'm excited that they have done all of that work to get where they are, and they are killing it. And I'm excited for myself. I'm like, okay, cool, new bar, let's go. You know? Um, like, I think it's like running. I've never run in my life. <laughs> but, like, um, you want to keep you know, beating your own personal best. And also if the runner next to you, their personal best is like 10 seconds faster than you. Like you also want to beat that care. Um, and I think that there's a way to be competitive, like that's motivational and that's healthy. Um, and that's not rude or catty. And I hope I've never been rude or catty in competitions. I don't think I have, but, um, I get really frustrated, you know, when people, uh, from the outside, who aren't involved in burlesque look at pageantry and they just see it as like a bitchy catty thing because we're mostly women. And because um, they, it's really easy for misogynists to reduce it to like a competition of looks, you know, um, and to flatten this into something superficial when it's not, but like all sorts of people compete in all sorts of arenas, you know, like it's like sports competitors, like that's healthy competition, hopefully, um, if you keep it that way, if you do the work to like be excited and involved in the competitive energy, and also be trying to keep it healthy for yourself, your relationship with yourself and your relationship with others. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, this is so important. Thank you. You're welcome. Let's talk about like an, you know, let's talk 
let's get into the nitty gritty of like a competition that you've done a couple times here. Talk to me about Behoff 2018. That was, you know, a little over a year now. You won best debut. You won most classic. Like you came home a winner. What was that experience like? Um, yeah, I had applied to Behoff the year prior and not gotten in. That was um, right after I started working with the lady Josephine. And she kind of put it on my radar and she said, if you want to get there, you apply. And I was like, true shit. <laughs> um, and I definitely wasn't prepared to be in that competition and I didn't get in. And the next year I did. Um, and I was just so excited about it. And also I had seen some of my friends um, be in competitions. I had, you know, seen Lulu, uh, La Chesserière in New Orleans compete. I'd been rooming with her uh, the first time, or no, the second time she did the Queen's competition there. Um, and I was really aware of how it can affect you mentally and like how you can try to prepare in a healthy way and how preparing in an unhealthy way can look. Um, and I was really grateful to be her friend through that process. And she did fucking awesome. Um, so I was using that to inform, you know, how I was getting ready for the competition. And, um, I had signed up for strippers holiday with Michelle Lamour and it was just perfect timing. It was in April. Um, and it was really close to when the notifications gone out. So I took the act that I was bringing to be Hoff. I took Peacocky and she gave me some super solid advice. The whole weekend was incredible, just training and talking to other dancers and working with her um, and getting insight into her beautiful mind and the way that things work for her, the way that she um, conceptualizes burlesque. Uh, and then I continued to work my tail off. Like, I almost got evicted. <laughs> I was spending my money on studio space and rhinestones. I was not sleeping. I was not doing anything but um, working on my ass. It totally consumed me. Um, I sold a lot of my belongings. I sold like two of my other costumes um, because it was like three weeks out and I hadn't bought my plane ticket yet because I couldn't afford to. So um, I got myself there like by the skin of my teeth. I think I had 118 years for the whole weekend. Um, and then I was, you know, going home to start from scratch and try to not get evicted. Um, <laughs> so, you know, it was it was really intense. I, I was feeling pressure outside and inside. And something that happens is like you go to shows in your hometown, the same shows you've been doing forever. And people maybe like talk to you differently or it's all they want to talk about. Or they say, like, are you ready? And it's like, fuck you for asking me this question. Like, I don't know, you know, like what is ready? Like ask me about anything else. <laughs> Do you think people who have seen you perform a bunch of times before, like the audience and your fellow cast members, do you think they started to see you differently? Like, did you feel that? Yeah. Um, yeah. I think definitely people like put a lot of weight on this thing. We know that, you know, they ascribe right. so much importance to it. Um, and that transfers onto you when you become a student. And maybe part of that is due to your behavior. As I said, it was consuming me entirely. So I imagine I was kind of weird to be around because I was in a strange headspace. Um, and maybe part of that has to do with, you know, their relationship to their own work, one of their goals. Um, yeah, so things did change for me a little bit socially, but I also received overwhelming love and support from my community. And that was great. So I showed up to be off. I did the thing. Um, it did not go perfectly. <laughs> um, 
when I got off stage, I really felt awful. I felt like I had tanked. Um, I, awful. Yeah. I ran out of the theater and I went to the elevator and I was trying to go in my room. I was trying to keep it together before I got to my room. I got into the elevator. I started crying in front of all these muggles. <laughs> um, and you're there like fresh off the stage, like running through yeah, the Orleans. Yeah, in full face, like probably still wearing my wig cap. Um, just like not feeling good. And I got off the elevator and I ran into my friend Rosalie Bloom. Um, and Love I, her. Love her so much. She's incredible. I just saw her face and I fell apart. Like I had been crying. That turned into like ugly sobbing. Like it was so bad. She was like, what the fuck? And she took me, um, she came with me in my room. We had a tequila. She helped me fix up my makeup. She was like, girl, you were great. My friends are texting me. They were like, oh my God, you're great. Sugar Vixen texts me. I think you're going to win. I'm so confused because my internal narrative and this external narrative are not matching up. I get myself together. I go back to the show. I watch the rest of the show and the healing power of burlesque, just watching people do their thing up there. Um, and I'll be incredible and I'll be so excited to be there and to have brought their best work. Um, that was great to see. I almost forgot about my own issues <laughs> and then curtain call time came and I won. And, um, I was sitting there in that lineup of the best debut girls who were all my good friends by that point, um, holding hands with Erletica. And I got back with my trophies. I put them down and I was so overwhelmed. I like physically took steps back to kind of try to like blend into the shadows. Like, don't look at me. Like, I don't know. Um, Ariel grabbed my hand. She said, girl, step up. Like you deserve this. And she pulled me forward next to her and she held my hand tight. That's really, really special. You know, what she was telling me was like, hey, like, you worked for this. Like, own it. Like, did you, I don't know. I don't even know what to ask after that. Like, it was, it was intense. Um, I, my first, like, bigger stage performance after that was at the Toronto Burlesque Festival doing the same act. And I was more nervous than I'd ever been for a show in my life because I felt like, now that I've like won this thing, I'm supposed to be this thing. And I don't know, like maybe it was a fluke. Like my imposter syndrome was like, Hey bitch, like great work. Like let's get fucked up. You know, like crept into my mind and was like, you don't deserve this. It was a fluke. Like, but I slowly got over that um, because it kept being good. And I, I was very comfortable in it. And I still love performing that act for that reason. But yeah, the rest of the year was great. I got, I got bookings. um, And that was really really validating. Yeah. And then you planned this gigantic European vacation uh, at some point in your 2018. And then you found out you were invited back for 2019 to compete for Queen. Were you, did you think you would be coming back to that big stage so quickly? Um, yeah, but not in that capacity. I had heard from friends that the best debut winner gets like an unofficial step down in the icons and all-star showcase. Um, but I didn't hear from them at all. They didn't, like reach out to book me for it. And so I was like, Hmm, that's weird. Okay. And I had applied with uh, something I'd been working on my act called lady boots with a big red corset dress and big, tall black vinyl boots. I had been working my tail off to polish it up. Like if they invite me, I'm going to bring this. 
And that's what I applied with. And just secondarily, I was like, oh, I guess I could throw a second one in here. You know, I'm paying all this money. I may as well. Um, I threw in heavy, which was the first act I ever made. And the notifications came out, you know, and Lady Boots was not accepted. And heavy was accepted to compete for Queen. And I had just spent the past like six months spending all my time and energy on Lady Boots. And I was like, oh, fuck, shift gears. And by this point, I was two weeks out from my um, month and a half long Europe vacation. I was in Vancouver. I didn't have the costume with me and I wasn't going to have it with me for the next three weeks because I was on tour. I was going to uh, touch down in Chicago, have three days with the costume and then fly to Europe. Yeah, that's a lot. <laughs> it was insane. How, 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 how? <laughs> well, you know, I just came to terms, like I had to come to terms with the fact that like this process was not going to look the same as last year's process. I was not going to be able to sit down and throw my everything into Zact and, and, you know, do the same thing that I had done with Peacocky. I was not going to have the time or the resources to do that. Um, and I also didn't want to, you know, I didn't want to come off stage and burst into tears. I didn't want to like be on my last dollar. I didn't want to be on my last mental thread of sanity. (laughs) Um, I wanted to try to do things in a healthier way. And part of that included not making major changes to the act. Um, I, I, tried. I spent, you know, two hours a day in the studio for about two weeks, um, trying to make all these changes, trying to ask myself, how could this be more effective? How could this be bigger? You know, like, is this working? Why is this working? Why isn't this working? Um, and I drove myself into a place of, really deep dissatisfaction with the work. Um, And I talked to my friend and mentor, the lady Josephine, and uh, she said, you know, it's good enough to get in. I think you should leave it alone. Like, I think you should just do it the way it is and like clean it, obviously, and like rehearse the shit out of it. And, you know, you can have fun making the costume better, but like it, it has something great about it, which is like this first act ever element, you know, she's like, before I knew what was effective and what worked, before I was thinking super critically, before I had sort of um, ideas and conceptions about what burlesque should look like. And so I I thought I should kind of honor that, right? Honor the, like, naivete and that powerful explosion of, like, first falling in love with burlesque. And that emphasis from the Lady Josephine of have fun is so important that I think people forget about and right. You forgot about it in 2018, like as they prepare for this big stage, this thing that we give a lot of value to. So thank you for being very honest with, you know, what your 2018 looked like. Okay. So Behoff is over, right? We were, we had this moment last night where we were like, Oh my God, that feels like such a long time ago. And really it was like a week ago, like two weeks ago. Um, how, how have you processed that weekend? You know, how do you feel about it? Like, what, what is next for you? I definitely experienced, like, you know, the glitter crash afterward. Um, going through everything that could, would have been. Um, and I just tried to work through it and past it by focusing on the other things that are happening in my life. You know, indulging in Eloise. Um 
saying, okay, Aria, you know, you worked for that shit and that was hard and that was fun and that was weird and that was cool. And there was all these things. And now like, just to breathe, just to like be in a different way, in a different mode in a different headspace. Um, and then another feeling was by asking for my scores, <laughs> Kitty Irreverent, um, who manages the tournament of teas, sent out this email being like, also, like, thanks, thanks, thanks so much. Mwah, mwah. Also, your scores are available um, if you'd like to receive them. You can get your scorecards from the judges, anonymously, of course. And I was kind of torn, but um, I had talked to Ariel Helvetica about that very thing, and she said she really liked receiving hers because um, it gave her, um, you know, some insight into how subjective that scoring process is and how one person can give you tens across the board and one person can give you sixes and sevens and one eight, you know? Um, and I had the same experience as her. I'm really glad that I had that conversation with her. Um, I really enjoyed receiving my scores. I felt like it was um, some closure that I wanted, you know, because when you're up there, you don't really know how you're doing. Like you feel that you feel how much you're giving and you feel how much they're giving back, but you can't see it. Um, you don't really know. So yeah, I, I liked getting the scores as a little bit of closure. And then uh, I just myself into new work and I'm making new things and I'm really excited about it. And I'm prioritizing that feeling, that exhilaration, that ecstasy, that exuberant joy. I'm chasing that um, successfully. And that was great. Congratulations on such a beautiful, like, two years here that you've had. I'm so grateful to know you and to know this journey. And this was very wonderful. Thank you so much. Um, as we close out, you know, as part of this new work that you're doing, one of the things that you're doing um, as you're spending your summer here in Chicago is you're teaching at the Chicago Academy of Burlesque. Um, you've taught a workshop, I think, like in the springtime, um, and now you're doing an eight-week series. Do you want to talk about your teaching style, um, kind of what this class is about, um, how people can learn from you, what they'll learn from you? Absolutely, yeah. Um, as always, a theme in my story, everything goes back to Lady Josephine. So um, this eight-week class is on workshopping, and what we're going to do is uh, the class is going to present their acts to each other. We're going to have a little show, you know, no makeup, no whatever, it's for us to present our work in its form. And I'm asking everyone to bring something that they want to make changes to, that they want to amp up or that they want to breathe new life into, you know, whether it's like a newer piece that they think needs more work or an older piece that they want to become reacquainted with or re-inspired by. And then every week we're going to examine elements of those acts, like from uh, the way you're using your face to the costume, to the storyline. Um, and we're going to, you know, journal and ask the questions and them and make changes together. Um, and I'm bringing an act too. So I'm really excited to hopefully foster this group environment where we are simultaneously honoring the work that we have done and like what we have already brought to the table and expanding on what we can bring to these acts um, and doing that together. And I think that, you know, the way Josephine and Sugar and I worked together um, for that year and a half, I think, that we were meeting every week has really informed um, the shape that I want this to take. 
right? Where it's like, I'm guiding things as a teacher, but I'm also your peer and I'm learning too. I'm learning with you and from you as we go through this, you know? So I'm really looking forward to that. Aria Delanoche, thanks so much for chatting with me today on the Pasty Tapes. You are so wise and insightful and so generous with all of this knowledge and experience that you're sharing. So thank you so much. Where can people find you on the internet? Um, you can find me on Instagram at Aria Delanoche, on Twitter at Aria Delanoche. Um, I encourage you to sign up for my mailing list through my website, which is ariadelanoche.com. Um, because I often put some interesting content in there. It's kind of like a blog. I'm sharing my personal insights once a month. And if you really want the peek into my process and my thoughts and um, the tips and tricks that I have to share, you can sign up for Get Behind Burlesque, which is a private Instagram account where I use Instagram stories, which you're already addicted to, to um, share some insight and share my processes. You'll get first glances at my costumes and my process. You'll get, um, you know, references and networking connections, uh, all sorts of stuff. So if you want to sign up for that, you can shoot me an email, ariadilanoche at gmail.com, and we'll get you set up. I'm a part of that. I love it. I think it is worth every penny. Thank you. Thank you so much, Aria. I will talk to you soon. Absolutely. See you around. Thank you again, Aria, for being on the Pasty Tapes. I am so grateful for your insight, for your wisdom, for your friendship. You are a true favorite. I am totally looking forward to taking Aria's Level Up class at the Chicago Academy of Burlesque. It starts Monday, July 8th. I am bringing one of my favorite acts to this workshop series. I cannot wait to see how it grows and how it changes under Aria's eye. I really trust Aria. This is an act that I really love, but I can't wait to see how I grow as a performer, how my process changes. I'm really excited to work on her with this. If you're interested in this class or any of the other classes that we have at the Chicago Academy of Burlesque, visit us at chicagoacademyofburlesque.com. I also know that this summer Aria has been booking uh, private consults and private lessons, so find her on the internet for that information. If you're interested in giving a shout out to your burlesque best friend or confessing your burlesque crush on the air or talking about your favorite burlesque act, I want to hear from you. I want your take on this sparkly, beautiful, naked universe that we're in that is called burlesque. Give me a call on the Pasty Tapes hotline. Our number here is 1-530-PASTIES. That is 1-530-727-8437. If you are listening internationally and you want to participate, you can always record a voice memo on your phone and email it to me. My email address is thepastycapes at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening to The Pasty Tapes. You can find us all across the internet at The Pasty Tapes. I definitely want to hear from you, so leave us a love note. Give us your feedback. Send me an email or leave a voicemail on the Pasty Cakes hotline. I also will probably be dropping a Patreon soon. I don't know. I ended up with all this cute merch with our new artwork made by Zilla out of St. Louis. So maybe that's going to be a thing. So stay tuned and follow us on social media. Thank you so much for listening to the Pasty Cakes. Please tell all your friends, share our episodes, 
hit that subscribe button and give us five stars. This is Show My More, the steamiest Asian dumpling, and I will talk with you soon.